So before we move on to our regular episode recap, we wanted to talk about the very exciting news in the world of Miss Fisher. There has been a rumor for a long time, there have been whispers (laughs) that there will be a movie, and we weren't quite sure where that was, although things were looking pretty good. But recently, we have confirmation that there is, in fact, a movie. Yep. And they were very close. They just needed, like, icing on the cake for better effects and locations. And so... And proof of demographic. uh, Yes. That is also a very important component of this. So, if you don't already know, there is a Kickstarter campaign going to help fund the Miss Fisher movie. You can find it on Kickstarter. Just go to the website and enter Miss Fisher movie and you'll find it, no problem. It may even be one of those featured ones. I mean, sometimes the high dollar Kickstarters get featured on the front page. Yeah. That have gotten a lot of attention. And this one certainly has gotten a lot of attention. It really has. So they were asking for 200,000 Australian. Um, that was their main goal for the month. And they blew past that in day one. Yep. It was incredible. And I have to say, it was so fun. I would, every, I don't know, half hour, I would. Are you a Kickstarter refresher? I was. <laughs> I was. I was watching those green numbers just grow and grow. And it was so wonderful. And it made my day to watch those numbers keep growing and to know that they just like blew past that goal so fast. I'm guessing most of our listeners are well familiar with what (laughs) Kickstarter is. But in case you aren't, or you live in a country that they don't have Kickstarter, um, Kickstarter is a pledge drive platform, basically. Kind of like a national public radio pledge drive. Um, but the thing about Kickstarter is it's an all or nothing thing. You either make your goal within the time frame allotted or you get none of the money that's been pledged so far. So it's really important, not only that they make their funding, but the sooner you make your funding, you can do things like stretch goals and things like that. And like an NPR pledge drive, there are rewards in exchange for different levels of giving. So what was there? There was like a postcard for like a yeah. really small reward level. There's a huge range. Yeah, it huge started range. like souvenirs, bookmarks signed by the cast. Um, a PDF, I think, bang. of like the costume design. Yeah, and they'll keep you in the loop on certain things too. So the costume design one was a really cool reward where they like send you drawings every once in a while mm-hmm. of costumes that are going to be used in the movie. And I think you get to have behind-the-scenes footage of the costuming department as well, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. There's another one where you're like included on a webinar and can ask questions of... Right, of the production staff. Mm-hmm. And, yep. Um, I think there also was a line in the credits. Yeah, your name in light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can have your name or somebody that you love very much have their name in the movie as a character. Right. Um, your logo can be in there. Obviously, that was the really that was one of the really high dollar yes amounts. But if you if you have what what was it ten thousand no, dollars Australian wasn't or something? That much. It was like I want to say four thousand. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you have the low low price of four thousand dollars <laughs> Australian in your back pocket you too could get your company's logo. And they were really, they were going to be creative about it. They were going to like work it into the 1920s. It's like 1920s product placement. Uh Uh-huh. I know. And I'm guessing, you know, like maybe those cool hand-painted signs that are in the background, like in alleys (laughs) or on cabs. Like how cool would that be? I know. That would be worth every penny, really. I have a company. I don't know, (laughs) $4,000. 
but lots of people do. And I'm sure it would, it would be really, really cool to like share that yeah. on your website or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, they got really creative with the different levels of pledges and had some very good rewards, I thought. Um, they also had to keep extending the stretch goals. So they started at 200, yeah. blew past that. And then it was uh, three or four mm-hmm. and they blew past that. They, the, the most recent one was 600 and they have hit that one as well. And it was funny because as they kept hitting these goals, they were like, if we get to this goal, we'll do this with the money. And by the 600, they were like, we... I think can make graphics really awesome. We're going to talk to our crew and find out what we can do. Like at this point, they're like, it's so much more money than we had planned for. We don't even quite know what to do with it. I'm sure they will figure it out and the movie will be better for it. But it was really funny to have them be like, uh, I don't know. (laughs) What more can we add? I know. Plenty. I'm sure. New scene. I'm that just shouldn't saying. cost very much, right? Just, just throwing that just, out there. Just an idea. <laughs> um, what was the other thing I was going to mention? <laughs> did I just completely derail yeah, everything? you did. You did. Sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm still here back for. at nude scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Um, oh, yeah. Every time they hit a level, they would also send out a video. And the very first video, like the one that they put on the Kickstarter page mm. announcing the campaign is really, really funny. Yeah. They did such a good job. It's really clever because Nathan Page is watching the end of season three and is yep. decrying Franny's leaving and him not going for it while she was still there. And it's pretty cute, actually. You know, okay, confession, I missed it. <gasps> I know. I need to go watch it like right Wait, now. Wait, you have not watched this video? I haven't. I started to and oh then gosh. I got like a phone call or something and then I had to answer the phone and then I just got all ADD and did oh. not wander back to it. So You've got to watch it. All right. It's re- they do a really good job. Maybe it's we very should, clever. Like, pause and I can go watch it. And we're back. <laughs> I've watched it. <laughs> you want to? We yes, can do that. Actually. Okay. All right. Okay, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. We're back. I've seen it now <laughs> through the magic of the internet. Right. What did you think? That was pretty awesome. Right. Also, Nathan Page seems to be doing a little Travis McMahon impression. Why? Because he had the exact same like hairdo oh. when we interviewed Travis in Las Vegas. That's true. Long hair, <laughs> man bun. <laughs> Facial hair. I'm getting off topic. Okay. That well, was awesome. Right? He's clutching the pillow. I know. He's like, come on, we're robbed. It's it's pretty adorable. Yeah. They really um, made use of like the amazing chemistry between Nathan Page and Essie Davis. Mm-hmm. And just, it's I've funny. I've been anticipating your lines for three seasons, Jack. I've missed you. Oh, I don't think she called him Jack. Fools. I was, I, I think I put words in her mouth there. That's, but. that's okay. We all have. We all call him Jack. Just admit <laughs> it. <laughs> that it was really a brilliantly done video. Yeah. So way to go, every cloud mm-hmm. for knowing what the fans want. Everybody was crying about how much money they'd spent, but there's good stuff on these levels, and there's still uh, nine days to go as of this moment. Yes. So Today is October fifth. Yeah. So it'll be running until was that the fourteenth? The fourteenth. Okay. Yeah. So get out your wallet. You got till next Friday night. Yep. I guess I don't know which time zone this originated in. I'm I'm guessing Australia somewhere. It came out at like six ish at night, which is I think early like early in the day in the Australia. Next day. Yeah. 
So I actually have a tab up on my computer at all and times. The time zones. I know, but I've got the Melbourne oh, time zone. We are up. in your office right now. And there, look at this blank wall oh, over your couch. You need some clocks up there. You are so right. Like the stock exchange, yes. you know, and they've got all the clocks. You need to do that. Yeah, I really do. Let's just go to a rummage sale and get you some clocks. Okay. And we'll have Sounds a Melbourne good. Or clock. Like, yeah. I need three clocks. Here, New York, Melbourne. Yeah. That's done all you need. And done. Yeah. I also kept searching, like Googling how much 600 Australian was in the US. <laughs> and it was like 472. Oh, that's so, a pretty good exchange rate. Yeah, for us. It's yes. better than Canadian even. Oh, I know. So yeah, it was. Um, that was also kind of confusing as I was watching the numbers on Kickstarter. We have hit the 600,000 mark. And um, and have passed it. That's six hundred Australian, not correct. American, so that's right. we're at four hundred and seventy five thousand U S dollars. Yeah. Um, but every time they'd hit one of those stretch goals, they would put out another thank you, and some of them were videos mm. um, of the various people thanking, including the most recent one was Carrie Greenwood, which was really cool. Excellent. Yeah, and I was wondering, was she wearing her map cape? No, sadly, <laughs> but she gives a very heartfelt thanks, and I was really glad to know that she is involved in yeah, the movie as well. Definitely. So, because I was kind of wondering, like, but yeah, she is involved, and that's wonderful to hear. Um, so they've done, a, I think, a really great job managing the Kickstarter and thanking their fans very, like, honestly. And I think we blew them away. I think they have really been surprised at the amount of the you know, outpouring. It's sad that, that this is still a surprise. I mean, this kind of brings up the whole female movies thing, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman. Yeah. You know, like, okay, we're going to throw you a bone, ladies. We're going to make you one movie. Not that every cloud is doing this, but I think this is the mindset in Hollywood that they have to convince these, we have, they have to convince producers and money backers and all these all these people that a story written by and for women about women adventurers is going to sell. Right. And time and time again, the audiences prove that we're starving for this stuff. I know. We want this. I know. As much as I enjoy like hearing it broke records, I'm just like, come on. Really, this we shouldn't should, be a thing anymore. Yeah, I mean, there's all kind like it should. It shouldn't be this pressure on mm-hmm. you know like remember when Wonder Woman came out and everybody was saying well this is going to be amazing well wouldn't it be nice if nobody cared if even yeah. if it was crap well yeah like, that it could just be crap and then there'd just be another movie about a woman hero just like I there are for male protagonists right every single one has to like prove to this the is your one industry. and only shot yeah that it can it can sustain and itself and then maybe in 15 years we'll make another one right whereas they've made like how many Spider-Man movies oh my god Captain America I know until I'm just, we all throw up yeah 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 so like dudes can make any movie they want regardless over and of, over yeah. and over again regardless of quality right there were how many how many bad sherlock holmes remakes with robert downey jr <laughs> like how many of those were there i don't know two three Eleven? i'm not sure i don't know yeah i know it's really frustrating i'm tired of having to prove that like women are a viable source of yeah movie income and we actually want some stuff yeah and i feel like we should get that yeah. without having to prove it every single time. Totally. Yeah. Backslash end feminist rant. <sighs> All right. Yeah. Kick soap boxes under the table. But the proof is already in the pudding here. Yes. If you haven't heard about this thing, there's still time. Mm-hmm. If you want to get in on this, even if it's just getting in on the email updates, which is cool enough, like here's your chance. Yep. It's supposed to be filming next year. So, uh, yeah, so 2018 will be summer filming. in the U S winter in Australia. And then, um, has a, Prospective release date of summer 19. Yeah. 
or like middle of the year 19 I summer th- wasn't there a, isn't there a backer reward something about the premiere yes and they're I think they're saying June of 19 that sounds right yeah what I remember reading yep so we've got a while but at least we know that it has been well funded and very uh highly anticipated you know I feel like my whole life has been there's been this element of waiting for big movies to come Mm -hmm. out and thinking at the time that that's torturous but then that time just flies by like when I was a kid it was like oh my god it's 1993 and the Lion King isn't going to come out until summer of 1994. <laughs> that is so long away. I'm going to be done with eighth grade at that point. What am I going to do? That's adorable. Yeah. Yeah. And then now, God, that was 23 years oh, ago. Geez. I know. Hashtag old. Um, yeah. I've done that for movies. I've done it for books. I've done it for TV. My TV show starting back up again in the fall. Yeah, all our yeah. lives. But you're right. The time really does fly. So, yeah. And in, in the meantime, we know that it's happening. And we have each other. We have this we podcast. Have we have the Tumblr. We have the social medias. <laughs> we goodness. didn't have those things when I was your age. I know, right? <laughs> you should appreciate we it, youngsters. We didn't even have phones. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that old. <laughs> it feels like it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, anyway. Time's ticking. Get out your wallets. Check your budget first because you're going to find yourself doing a little like impulse buy splurginess. I know. Don't we check did. your budget first. Just do it. Do it feels right. <sighs> Unless what feels right is debtor's prison. Good thing they don't have that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> worth it. Still worth it. <laughs> Hashtag debtor's prison. <laughs> Hashtag worth it. Yeah. So uh, get on it. Back to our regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome back to the Miss Fisher Files. Today we are talking season two, episode 10, Death on the Vine. And Chandler and I thought we'd mix it up a little bit today. So we have a couple special guests for you on our show. Today we have friend of the show, Jojo Stiletto. Hello. Whom you may remember from uh, a previous episode that we did. Season two, episode one. I'm glad you remember that. I never remember those numbers. The fan dance episode. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And she will be uh, bringing with her her alter ego's alter ego, Aunt Franzia. Hello, I'm Aunt Franzia. (laughs) Who is an expert on (laughs) quote-unquote wine. And also joining us today is Sailor St. Clair, who... Hello. Who is also uh, interested in wine. She reluctantly made wine as she grew up. (laughs) That's the best description. (laughs) That's what the photographic evidence shows, is my reluctance toward this whole process. And you've also written about wine Mm -hmm. as well. Yep. Used to be a brief, uh, briefly I was a wine writer for a very small business journal in Santa Barbara, California. That's close to wine, right? It is close to wine. It is one of California. <laughs> it's California's second best known uh, viticultural area. Mm. Nice. So today we also have some uh, refreshments, <gasps> including yes. a couple bottles of wine. Sadly, Aunt Franzia, they did not come in a box. No, they're in that's bottles. Okay. They're in... I have to learn how to appreciate 
above my level. Well, <laughs> I guess a compromise is they are screw top. Oh, yeah. So I thought, so, yes. oh, I yeah. noticed yeah. that you No corks in here. <laughs> I did. I did bring a giant corkscrew. But there's no corks. Um, but there are no corks. But they are Aussie wines. Until. Yeah. So, okay. What we have to drink today is a Shiraz Viognier blend from Yalumba, which is in South Australia. And then, I'm excited about that one because it has a horse on the label, and that is a mark of quality. <laughs> you know, as an illustrator, I can tell you that I know very little about wine, and that's how I choose it, how pretty the label that is. That is a perfectly fine way to choose wine, I think. Like, I have forgotten much of my wine knowledge, I think, in the intervening years since I used to write about it a lot. But uh, I've, I think choosing something that has an attractive label is a perfectly yeah. fine way to decide what's good for you, right? And it's not like I'm really going to know if it's got bouquets of whatever in it so does it have a remarkable <laughs> horse on the label yeah. well yes it does exactly yeah and that actually remarkable. Uh, my yeah. good friend Janet Beebe who is a well known sommelier in uh, Seattle suggested that we do get a spicy Australian Shiraz to drink during this podcast Ooh, when I consulted with someone who knows about wine Mary you have a good story of when you picked up this wine I do um, so I went to our fancy pants grocery store because I thought they'd have the best selection of foreign wine and I was staring at the Australia shelf, and it was pretty clear to the uh, wine department guy that I was struggling. So he came over and said, can I help you find something? And I said, actually, yes, I'm looking for something very specific. I'm looking for wine from South Australia, particularly Victoria. And he said, oh, you know, a year or two ago, I would have had a huge shelf full, and I could have recommended a bunch of them. But since then... They've really taken a hit there because of Yellowtail. And Yellowtail, if you don't know, is It's like the Starbucks of wine in Australia, apparently. I guess so. Yeah, it's a a pretty inexpensive brand of wine that's now available everywhere. I'm aware of this wine. Yes, me too. It's lower shelf. (laughs) And it comes in a very large bottle. In a very large bottle, But it has a very pretty label. It does. does. It's a very attractively designed label. And it's not, Jojo, it's not even lower shelf. It's actually the bottom (laughs) shelf of the wine. No, no. Franzia is the bottom Well, yeah. If they've got like a lower shelf You know, they may do a box version that they just haven't exported. You just don't know. Mm. Possibly. Maybe. I think we need to go and find out. I think we should. Yes. So this gentleman, Patrick, who was incredibly helpful, was telling me about how Yellowtail wine has decimated the uh, Australian wine industry, which was very sad. Um, And he said, oh, have you been to Australia? Because we were talking a little bit. And I said, yeah, I went when I was eight. I'm hoping to go back again. And he said, are you going to Melbourne? And uh, I was let me like, tell you a story, sir. Yes, yes, that's that is my plan. And I thought that was such a bizarre city to guess. I said, Yeah, I'm hoping to go next year. And he said, You know, um, do you get Netflix? Uh. I said, Yes, yes, I do. He said, There's this show that you might like. It's called Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. <laughs> really? I've never heard of that. I no said. Way. As a matter of fact, I do a podcast with my friend, and I made up these little cute business cards, and I They're had them cute. in my purse, and I actually managed to give it to a person right at the that appropriate is a super, time. That's a superpower that I don't have. I have several different business cards. I never, ever seem to have one on me, ever. Right. So you're saying this is the perfect wine. Like, he already had that show in mind. Yes, and he it was is like, the Miss Fisher me, wine. Let it, me introduce you to some murder wine. Murder, <laughs> murder horse wine, which is the best Mur- possible combination for um, me. And my new band. Murder. <laughs> 
course right. wine. That's wonderful. Um, I'll also just add that I, because this is a blend, this is a really interesting blend because this is uh, a, a red blended with something that is usually not made in that style. Yeah. So the Vigonier is usually white. Right? I know. Yeah. I, was, I thought this was a really interesting blend. I've never had this before. Can I ask a question? Why of course. We, why aren't we drinking this wine yet? <gasps> oh, right. that's a really good question. Um, shall I pour this for please everyone? Please do. Thank you. Yes, please. please do, Sailor. That's a really important question. Yeah. Let's get the Foley this effect really, really of the Oh, yeah. <laughs> and since we are in, once more, the fancy, fancy recording studio of Mr. Oh. Doug Mackey, um, Mary thought ahead and brought stemless wine glasses that are plastic. Yeah, that are plastic. You know, yeah, red wine here, on you know. the acoustic Thank you very much. fabric things in here would be very bad and embarrassing. So, yes, everybody, so, be a nice grown up. Drink their wine. The room is fireproof, but not wineproof. That's right. <laughs> That's lovely. Patrick yes. knows his wine. Oh, I'm sure he does. So the actual vineyard that is featured in this episode. Death on the Vine, is Tabilk, T-A-H-B-I-L-K. And unfortunately, I could not find that wine, but this is very close to it. So It tastes very horse murdery to me. I like it. <laughs> this is much better than Franzia. I don't know the terms. What are they? <laughs> very horse murdery. murdery. <laughs> <laughs> and what, how does that translate to wine speak? Uh, let, let's see. Can I still do a Oaky thing finish? I used to do 10 years ago? Let's find out. <laughs> What's the, what do I smell? What notes are you getting from this? Definitely B flat. <laughs> <laughs> Say this wine isn't a minor. Uh, no, this is, what's nice about this, this is actually one of the kinds of wines that I tend to like. I like things that are what I would describe as being very jammy or fruit mm. forward. Um, and this has a nice, like, kind of tart cherry thing going Ooh, on. Oh, it's very mm. lush, like red lips. Mm. Ooh. Mm. Mm. Like a like a velvet cloche hat, you might even Ooh, say. Yes. Maybe. Has Maybe. that nice mouth feel like mm. a velvet cloche hat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but I put my mouth on velvet cloche hats all the time. <laughs> the label says red fruit and Turkish delight aromas. Turkish, Turkish delight. Yeah. Promise the Sold. exotic. And the opulent and supple flavors deliver in full. A vibrant red with a taste for adventure. Oh, that yeah, is a perfect Friday Patrick, wine. yes it is. Cheers to you. Cheers, cheers to you, Patrick. We need to do a premature chin chin We're going to be cheersing okay. a lot cheers, in cheers. this. Oh, or as oh, uh, they clunk, say in the episode, it's Prost, right? Because yeah. they're cheering in German. So That's true. Prost. Prost. Well spotted. We don't have glass so, glasses like, here either, so it's, it's a little bit of a clunk. A little anticlimactic. Yeah, it's true. Um, should we talk about the show? Maybe at some point. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's an idea. Uh, I feel like uh, I appreciated. I've been listening along, and you guys have gotten to the period of episodes that are a little interesting. They're maybe, not, maybe exciting. not our favorites. Not our we favorite. say? They're okay, but I kind of love that period because it makes us appreciate the other episodes even more. <laughs> you need true. the lows like to understand winter in North highs. Dakota. Yes. <laughs> you appreciate the other seasons. Is that a thing they say? <laughs> it's amazing. And I call this episode uh, Children of the Wine because <laughs> it is, it, like, this, the first thing you see after the cold open is that uh, spooky, spooky, spooky? Yeah, I would that say it's spooky a spooky scarecrow. scarecrow. Spooky. Uh, and the music is very different than what you normally hear. So yeah. that's when I was like, and then it starts to become this very much like they're trapped in this town and the townspeople are Well, kind there's of nothing creepier than them. being in a room full of giant barrels. I mean, yeah. Being trapped and so I'm in like, one of the this giant is barrels. the episode I call. 
terminal of the wine and they get trapped in it, the horror <laughs> episode. And you were talking about that too. Yeah, and especially your note about the music. Like I just kept noticing in this the way in which the orchestrations, they're trying to sound like a theremin, except theremins don't exist yet. So it's this interesting... <laughs> and, and nobody on staff knows how to play a saw. Right, so, so it's an interesting combination. They're actually using um, piano and uh, several, uh, a few layers of strings to create that uh, sound. Yeah. Uh, and it feels, got that very horror movie vibe. Mm-hmm. That opening sequence of being trapped in the barrel is yep. a very, well, very uh, Poe-style horror, right? How very Cask of Amontillado. Yeah, very much. Except it's a barrel instead of a wall, you know. This is Australia. We do things differently here. They do. <laughs> it's terrifying. The guy claw, yeah. trying to claw his way out. Of yeah. And then you see, later you see his fingernails. Uh, right. You see this the is body. the Halloween episode. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. yeah. They've got the Christmas episode coming up later, but this is definitely like the odd Halloween episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do they have Halloween in Australia? Pro tip. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. I think they do. But it would be in the spring, not the fall. Exactly. This is we have so many questions about time and how it affects growth seasons. I was very deeply concerned when I was watching this episode. Halloween just doesn't seem like it'd be the same in spring. It's it wouldn't be, but they do celebrate it. I know this only because I had an Australian pen pal as a child, and I would ask her questions such as, "Do you have Fourth of July in Australia?" Which no, I mean they do because it's a date on a calendar, certainly. (laughs) But Independence Day for them is something totally different and not on the Fourth of July. Which, mm. you know, I was nine. I don't know that. Yeah, they yeah. have Australia Day. I yes. think it's in January. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I, but it's, again, like a summer yeah. patriotic holiday. So oh, they right. do have summer. kind of an equivalent. Uh, yeah. That's true. But, yeah, the whole growing season in this episode doesn't totally make sense to me. So, right, we're talking about this as a Halloween episode. Mm-hmm. So we assume it takes place in the fall. And we know that the plot of this episode revolves around the harvest party, right? Right. So the assumption is they have just uh, cut all the grapes from the vine and they're about to do the crush. And we do see the crush happen. Oh, boy, do we. (laughs) Oh, boy, do we see that crush. We'll come back to that, right? We'll come back. We'll come back. But just figuring out the time here, right? But those... The vineyard is fallow. There are no grapes on those vines. Right. So that, it looks like an American vineyard in January. Right. Right? So right. that's a winter vineyard. And they're hmm. probably filming But there's the still leaves on the trees. Like, it feels... There's uh, lemons. other plants. There's, there's lemons, lemons growing I, yeah. on a tree. Yeah. But you know what? Lemons what? lemons are harvested see. in the winter as well. So yeah. lemons are a winter fruit. At so, least in California they are. Yeah. So none of this makes any sense, hmm. right? Because this should be fall... Uh, but that's not what vines look like in the fall. Right, and right? lemons lemons aren't lemon trees aren't full of ripe yeah. lemons in yeah. fall. And mm-hmm. that's fall, in my mind, which would be spring in Australia. Right. So none of it feels right to me, and I had a lot of trouble figuring out how fruit worked in Does Australia. Does anything <laughs> feel right in this episode? I mean, not really. No, right. Franny's out of her element, aka Melbourne, and and it's very claustrophobic. She can't get out. And there's well, this like over there's a cloud cover. Creepy in the small town is a and Ooh, everything yeah. is brown. Everything, everything is brown. brown. Everything it's like brown. the seventies. It's like stepping into the seventies. <laughs> That's what I was like. The episode feels for about to be about like plants and harvest and lush wine. Yeah, but yeah, but it not like a, a lush warm it is brown. Absolutely lifeless. Like a we didn't have Dead. budget for color. Yeah, brown. <laughs> well, and, except for that scarf. Yeah, Except, which I that, love. That bright scarf, which our Canadian house guests really loved. We were like, oh, that scarf. And do, she was hey, like, I would wear that. Scarf I would. I scarf love. Pole. How do you feel about that? Love, 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 love. Dislike. Great. Dislike. Dislike. <gasps> 
guiltily dislike. Fine, that means I get to wear it and y'all yeah, don't have to. That's fine. It's for you. We wanted to save it for you because we knew you liked it. Because we're good that. friends that way. <laughs> so you wouldn't wear it if you did. I actually you guys have are really good friends. an ode to this scarf. <gasps> Written not by myself, but by my husband, who did, it. I think, a very good job. It is called Ode to Phryne Scarf. Oh, false scarf of red and yellow, did Phryne find you in the bordello? I know I should love your red, but can I watch Dot instead? I know I should love your length, but focusing on you takes all my strength. I know I should love your leaves, but I'd probably use you when I sneeze. You match the season, it is true, but you'll throw Jack off when he wants to woo. Oh, <laughs> very nice. I'm going to snap like I was yeah, just in a I'm poetry, so a poetry now because right of wine and that yeah. prose. That is yeah, amazing. He did, he did a really good job on it's this. wonderful. <laughs> it's really good. Thanks, Eric. Really Nicely good. done. Like there's yeah. no co- there's no costumes to kind of draw us in per mm-hmm. usual, so we we're forced to kind of pay attention to the plot in Brown Town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and she's even wearing her like most undyed of all her undyed limit linens too. Yes. That's oh when yeah, the she duster. Arrives. Yeah, and yeah. that's the thing, linen. I don't know how they do it in Australia because they have different holidays, but you are not supposed to wear linen after Labor Day in the United States. And if it's fall, it's after Labor Day. So what the hell is she doing? Do they have Labor Day? But they probably have a similar rule. <laughs> like you wouldn't wear your tennis whites after whatever September. Australians I guess in Australia do. it'd be what? Want to do. April? I know. Yeah. Or and May? do we have an, uh, a reference for that? Like does that come up in the tennis sex episode, as I like to call it? <laughs> the, <laughs> what, the wine sex episode. The yeah. Sex what episode. season? And is it are they wearing there mm-hmm. are there are rules about this, Mary. There are rules. And she is wearing linen in the autumn, and that is not okay. But Franny does not play by the rules. Cheers. Except when it comes to fashion, she's all about the rules. Uh, I mean this she mixes throws all rules couture out the and door. All rules out. We separate the uh, in, in interesting characters from each other at the very beginning, right? You put Franny in one town, you put Jack in another town three hundred miles away. And it doesn't work. No. You know, and you're a designer. I'm a designer. We break rules, but also we know never to combine two sans serif fonts in the same document. I mean, come on. (laughs) There are rules that you do not break. (laughs) Yes, that's true. You're very right. So while I am the lone voice of loving that scarf, I didn't love the fact that she was wearing it with all that undyed linen. I I thought, so here's here's why I feel guilt about not loving this scarf. It's beautiful. It is stunning. It is like the, the I don't know, is it embroidered? Is that what it is? It looks like hand painted yeah. fabric. Is it like, painted, painted like a silk. silk. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I under other circumstances, and those circumstances would just be a different color palette. Mm-hmm. Truly, that's it. And I, I would think maybe that's what it is. Absolutely love this scarf. Because Friny, we have we have critiqued her on wearing fall colors before. And I yeah. think maybe that's what it is. I think maybe you're right. Maybe there's something she also tends to stand out against her scenery. And in this episode, mm-hmm. she blends into everything. That's true. And she is usually very much like a winter gal wherever yeah. she is, which is why very she looks so awesome tone. in the Christmas episode. I feel like they kind of did the color palette for this episode around that scarf and mm-hmm. her lips. Because those are yeah. usually the only two bits of color mm-hmm. in the frame. Mm-hmm. And it is so brown. You have brown foreground, mm-hmm. mid-ground, yeah. background, all brown. 
which is hard to watch, but also when I think about that and then I think about the title of the episode as Death on the Vine and I think about how this is thematically about this town that, I mean, we're calling it Brown Town, but it is, right? Like, yeah, it's withered it's on withered the vine. It's withered on the vine. Yeah. It's dead. It lost an entire generation of mm-hmm. young men. And so there's Plus, some ways, there's that whole narrative of like these small agricultural towns and right. can they make it? Are they struggling? Mm. In this new economy, right? right? Or and does so, Yellowtail come in and ruin everything <laughs> right? everyone? But so it is in some ways thematically reflective, but it's also really weird for us because we watch this show for its really rich aesthetic, or mm-hmm. that's well, it's which we, it does come back into that when they go back to Franny's house at yeah. the end, and it's lush again, and yeah. there's color again, and her blue walls are so striking <sighs> at the end against this yeah. palette mm-hmm. that has been so barren. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what maybe this like episode blanched, doesn't work. But like, like, yeah. It was all very purposeful. We know mm-hmm. what they were trying to do. It's true. We're going to talk all about that. But I think that it just, it, it doesn't sizzle at right. all. Yeah. Yeah. It's and hard to make sizzle. brown sizzle. It really, <laughs> well, and you lack of banter as well. <sighs> yeah. You have the two characters so far apart. And even the phone call has to be... You know, coded. Yeah, coded. So you can't get that, that good. That call, though, is actually kind of fun to listen to. It really yeah. Is. So you're like, is he really catching what she's dropping down? Yep. She's trying to speak yeah. in a way that she reveals to Jack that she needs help, but mm-hmm. she can't say she I'm needs in help. a small town on a public phone in front of a bunch of murderous busybodies. <laughs> Are you catching <laughs> my like, drift? It's very, he, like, he doesn't actually catch on, I think, until someone says something else to him and he's like, oh, I should probably go. Yeah. There's a dead body. Oh, I oh, get it now. Right. Her car is fucked up. Yeah. He called back, and then the woman, the innkeeper, claims that the phone system isn't working, and mm-hmm. she basically hangs up on him. Mm-hmm. And at that you point, you would think his like, spidey okay. sense as a cop would yeah. sort of yeah. light up on that one. His well, friny sense, not his spidey sense. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and he knew there was a murder or, or a body had come through right. from it's that pure area. circumstance. Jack doesn't always have the best intuition, though. He does not. That's not his strong suit. And that's the, the contrast between him and Friday, right? Mm-hmm. Is that Jack is so good at the procedure. Mm-hmm. Right. And he knows how to do everything by the book, and he's very good at following those problems. Processes when sometimes the, you need to think outside you need, the box. Yeah. Wine. The women's intuition <laughs> of self-styled and entirely outside the box. Looking out for you. Thank you, friend. Okay. Well, normally, like that's the thing is like when Franny shows up at a party, that's when the party usually begins. But she shows up at this harvest festival or whatever. Yeah, and, and everyone's like, like, everyone's like, who invented the stiff from the here? city? Yeah. yeah. And her posture from the moment that episode starts is on defense, which is right. really unusual. Mm, that's true. Yeah, because usually she just sashays in there and mm-hmm. owns the place. Right. Which is why we kept thinking of it as like everything they're doing feels like they're trying to relate to the tone of a horror, mm-hmm. but do it in this very the calls quaint, coming from inside. The yes, house. the calls coming from inside the house. <laughs> the music is very unusual for this episode. Mm-hmm. It's very like they are trying to create a sense of isolation. Um, and it's like I kind of that's why I'm like, were they trying to make their equivalent of like a Halloween or a horror? Well, plus it feels very much like a stage set, like this this winery that they're mm-hmm. and then the the hotel feels like a like a Wild West stage set. Yes. Yes, no, and really we does. noticed that too when we were watching it because I kept tracking all the ways in which it was doing horror as a genre. But then when all three of our small town conspirators are found out, as it were, it actually becomes a Western standoff in the Real, town. It square. really is. Oh, it does. Exactly. Even like the dirt streets yes. and everything is like kitty corner from everything else. And yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's. It is very much... The nauseating tonal shift to all of a sudden Western. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that makes more sense for me um, when I'm thinking about 
Australian cinema and stuff, right? Yeah. Because Australia is is the West, right? Like we're out here on the West Coast, but you don't really know the West until you get to Australia. It's yeah. Like and so Australia like has this connection to Westerns. And I mean, think about, and we watched this very recently, Jojo and I, uh, the, the Baz Luhrmann epic Australia, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I'm like one of only five people who love oh, that Oh, we movie. like it too. I mean, again, <laughs> nauseating tonal shifts, which is Jojo's favorite thing. But I, I really love lots of things about that. And it really does capture Is Hugh this. Jackman? Do you love Hugh Jackman? I, well, who doesn't really? I love Hugh Jackman. Uh, Hugh Jackman is Hugh my Jackman. favorite. Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, and so it, it picks up on that, that sense of the Western. So that makes sense to me. But I haven't known as much about Australian horror um, and, and that is a cinematic product. Um, Hello, Baba Until Duke. recently with Essie Davis and mm-hmm. Duke, which, by the way, she is amazing in the Duke, and the Duke is amazing. Have you seen the memes now of, oh. like, Duke and it getting married? Yes. yes which, <laughs> here is my opinion. I'm going to say this. I am pro-gay Duke, and our friend Art Star, actually, as I, as you heard at the Aunt Francia show, got a gay Duke tattoo, <laughs> and I was like, Good for you, boo. You do it. But I am just not I'm not into Babadook and Pennywise. It's not my headcanon. Mm. And I'm just going to put that out there. Maybe it's because I'm not hugely Maybe into this clowns. this is your Halloween episode. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. It's coming up. This I is know. your Halloween. This it is kind of is. The ha- we got yep. some spiced cider in here as right. well. Oh, hey. I have is... treats. I'm going to open Ooh, them right now. We have some candy. Oh, oh, very oh. Nice. chocolate. Oh, chocolate. Um, yes. Can we speak, uh, since we talked about Hugh Jackman, can we also talk about how the poor man's Colin Firth is in this episode? Oh, Bobo Colin Firth. Yeah. Our, um, oh, Eric? Yes. Sling guy? Yes. Eric. I called him the bonable um. dude because I was like, oh, there's a bonable dude. It's yeah. been 20 minutes in that's, and the bonable dude is here. That's the archetype. And really? I, knew- I did not find, I was like, well, Franny has like, to find Franny, one. Franny, you're slumming it this time. I mean. The poor man's Colin Firth. He is he the poor man's. like Colin Firth. He's a little, a little schlubby. Mm-hmm. He's unshaven. Uh-huh. He's wearing his tattered sweater. Mm-hmm. When he goes in that. for the kiss, I actually like kind of recoiled. That kiss. <laughs> there was, it was like tongue-a-rama, that kiss. <laughs> I can't. I can't handle it. But the part that I love <laughs> is right before them when she's going to climb into the vat. Oh, the sultry. The, the, the sultry okay, are two burlesque yes. performers oh, in yes. the room. Tell us about that. <gasps> Those stockings could not be dowdier. Oh, they no. are oh, the least Here, sexy let item me of roll clothing down my I've ever seen. Hose. I know. <laughs> Correct. Which I kind of liked because, you know, I like the, but the one thing that burlesque does well is take things that are common and mm-hmm. make them fascinating. Like right. Aunt Francia, for instance. Yes. <laughs> Common and fascinating. fascinating. I sort of liked it too because the that man, okay. And so then those parts where we're getting into the the crush scene or uh, yeah, sure, that works on multiple levels, the crush scene. (laughs) Um, so when we're getting into that crush scene, there's also uh, so much about that that begins to be filmed in this like mild erotica style. So you've got like our, our slow camera tracking down her leg as she's uh, taking off this ugly support stocking, hose, the support and then hose. The, the exposed feet going into the mm, grapes. Yes. And I'm sorry, I just I'm all mm. the foot fetish people in the world will disagree, but I just don't think feet are can be Did made you wash pretty. those feet before you put them in the grapes? No, if that's they were in your sock good. in your shoe. Is that wow. real wine expert? Wait, Do you wash your feet first? Nobody does that, you guys. Nobody makes wine with their feet. That's not a thing. But I saw this episode of I Love Lucy. I know. And, and also Grumpy Old Men, too, where he goes, does that mean your, your wine smells yeah. like your mama's feet? It's a really <laughs> interesting pop culture trope, and I suspect that people did long, long, long ago. Back in the day. Let's say before I the 19th wine. century. <laughs> 
think before the 19th century, when you got more mechanization to brewing processes and fermenting processes, I do think people used to do that. But no one I've ever known in my life who is a winemaker makes it with their feet. And they actually hate that question. Mm. Uh, when I was a wine journalist for a brief period of time, uh, some vintners that I would talk to said that the most common question they got when they were like leading tours from tourists was always, oh, do you crush it with your feet? And some of them would come up with clever answers, none of which I can remember. But many people who got annoyed by that question would just go, no, <laughs> the FDA would not let us sell you that yeah, wine. Yeah, seriously. So that is wine that, well, question. Toe jam, Shiraz. Would you drink sex wine? No. This is and what we, I wrote this down. <laughs> She's making Jack drink her sex wine? Question mark? Question mark? That is like the greatest allegory or metaphor for Franny in general. Like, yeah. here, I crushed this with some other dude. Now drink, drink it. it up. It's such a coy flirtation. I like it. I was like, yeah, I'll drink that sex wine. Why not? I'll <laughs> so, drink it. But it's great. I would not drink with sex like, wine. Like, it's not even wine. She, and she does just, say that. And yeah. there is, there is can you this, imagine drinking it? And it's like not just that you yeah. talk about the trope of the foot crushing the grapes. Mm-hmm. Like, there's also the trope of that being sexy. So, like, my, my, one of my favorite guilty pleasure movies to watch that I know is terrible but I love it is A Walk in the Clouds, which ha- <laughs> showcases the terrible acting skills of Mr. Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah. His, his scenery goes, don't you know how special she is? Mm-hmm. And there's this whole, they run a winery in Napa, which you know it's yep. Napa because they say it's Napa because otherwise it's a generic matte painting in the background. But they have a whole grape crushing scene. There's some beautiful scene. matte paintings in that. Beautiful matte paintings, and it takes place during World War II, so it's all like period mm-hmm. piece. So you get to see Keanu as in a very believable role Covered as in a wine. World War II soldier. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's awesome. It's just the wine. perfect storm of terrible things that I love, and and of course they have the grape crushing scene, and mm-hmm. they like get all hot and heavy after that because what is it with people being into crushing grapes with your feet which doesn't happen apparently is it a natural aphrodisiac I mean yes wine is a natural wouldn't that hurt stepping on grapes wouldn't that hurt Uh, it wouldn't be that painful because the grapes are actually the little connecty bits of the fingers are actually pretty pliable so they they shouldn't stab but the branches in there stems like but here's another thing okay if we're thinking about like Grapes, wine, and sexuality, and what we are now calling sex and, wine. Like Have Bacchanalia, the goddess of PhD in English. Yes. Just mention that right now. Uh, okay, but thanks. I'm going to do smarty pants time. I'm going to do a religious studies thing for you, actually, oh, which is not yeah, at all wow. even my discipline. But if you think back to sacred texts and you mm. think back um, to, it's in uh, Songs of Solomon. Um, there are many, which poems. is one giant sex poem. Oh, it's so sex. Um, there's uh, <laughs> one section of one of that sex poem uh, that talks about how. On one's wedding night, one is meant to uh, place grapes on the belly of the bride and to drink that. No. And this gets replicated. In Biblical mar- belly shots? Biblical belly shots. Body shots. So, oh, this is exactly what I wanted a, this to be. And it's romantic in the Bible, right? It's the fruit of one's love that you have only with this one partner. This gets taken up by the Marquis de Sade. Oh, of course uh, it right? does. It's ruined for and, everyone. And the Marquis de Sade <laughs> writes about this same trope and profanes it. And um, I love this little vague pop culture reference about this exact story is that this turns up in one of my favorite movies, which is uh, based on the Doug Wright play Quills. Um, so oh, this is about the Marquis de Sade. Jeffrey Rush as. Yes, Jeffrey Rush has this line about this exact story where he's serving uh, some wine in his room to the Abbey de Cumier played by uh, Joaquin Kate, Phoenix. Oh, right. And uh, back before the Joaquin Phoenix 
before he went cray cray. Before that, mm-hmm. and so he says to him, "Ah, this is wine that was crushed by the belly of a bride in in Byzantium." And the abbey returns to him and says, "Marquis, you are you you are full of folly. This is from our own vin- vineyard, made by our own nuns, right?" And so it's this whole like arc of return oh, from the sacred and the profane. With plus, the wine, there's right? a whole like subculture of like dirty nun stuff. Oh yeah, too. like. That is its own thing. But oh, so, and Twitter account, Whores of Yore. Just everybody write that down and look it, it up. Whores, whores of Yore. Yes. <laughs> and it's written by an academic, a woman with a PhD on erotic history. But does this, and she's going to be my new best friend. Yeah. In the episode of them uh, uh, having flirtation over crushing wines, right? Uh, it's like the unsexiest scene, I think, in it all It really is. Of, it is yeah. the worst. Like feet. Come on. Plus ever. ugly brown room. <laughs> Plus, like, really uncomfortable. Like, what if you slip Plus and fall and get your nice frock dirty? Yeah. Plus Bobo Colin Firth. Bobo Colin Firth. <laughs> By the way, I'm pretty sure that the vat oh. they're using is just a hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at that and I was like, I think that's a hot tub. It's got wood paneling on the sides. Oh, it's a cup holder. And granted, with a cu- yeah, I, the nice little cup holder. I, I, holder. Jets. I, I, and with that, that wide vat. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> And you thought reviewing this episode wouldn't be fun. <laughs> oh, That's no. I knew that anything that would involve you two would mm-hmm. be fun. <sighs> um, but there are some uh, some lighter parts of this episode. So anytime that Dot does anything in this episode, it is such a reprieve. It is so charming. My favorite is when she's in the hotel room and she's like, well, I guess we're going to have to break into the morgue tonight. Like, she is ready <laughs> to go. And she just holds up her gold gun and she's like, it's... Okay, I guess we're going to break into a morgue tonight. And that's and there's another part where her, her and Hugh, and we should get into the Hugh stuff more. And she is so excited to, like, chase down some evidence that she literally, like, runs away from him. Like, so excited. He's, like, oh, I'm trying to propose. Yes. I'm, like, half kneeling, half. Wait, but. Uh, uh. <laughs> and she's, like, scampers off. She's, she's so like, wait, excited. what if it's a love note? So for some reason in this town, Phryne is out of her element. But, mm-hmm. like, Dot starts to really get some of her footing. Mm-hmm. But I wonder. That's really true. This is the sort of town that would accept Dot because she is demure. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. is. But she isn't in this episode. She's I, very I know, bold. and that's what. It's so interesting because she she would fit right in in a town like that. Like she knows her place, as it were. And she, but she, I don't know. Maybe that makes her confident. Maybe and maybe that was the purpose of the writers was to put Franny a little bit off kilter so mm-hmm. we could show Dot stepping regaining in. her footing, yeah. getting her footing for the first yeah, she time. She sort of takes the helm and yeah. tells Franny what she needs to do at certain times, which mm-hmm. is very unusual. Yeah, I really do love Dot in this episode. Also, as um, Hugh is running away. After Dot, when she has just scampered. Yeah, when she's scampered, he says, Sir, uh, Dot. He calls her Sir. So good. Because he respects her. He respects Mm -hmm. her. And he starts to, he learns to respect her when she's in a position of authority. That she knows what she's talking about. It's a lot of fun. Oh, so uh, also, did you guys actually understand what this murder was about at all? Um, I know that he, that Bobo Conferth, Wanted dear old dad to change his will so that his... Is, huh? Sure, probably. No, go on. Say more. <laughs> Didn't catch this part at all. Well, but, there was a will? <laughs> but I don't... But what I don't get is why did he need to do that? Like, was it... was Were they failing and so they wanted to sell it off? Like, this is what I didn't get. All I know is I read someone's... I, I can't remember who. A Tumblr uh, very, 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 very specific recapture of this episode it took me like 20 minutes to read it. 
It was very detailed. I still don't know what was happening. It was like three books worth. Yeah. Do you need a reason to lock a guy in a giant wine barrel? Because I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a fake death and then a murder. Right. The fake death, I don't. The fake death is a cover up for the murder and then a second faked death. No, 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 there's no, a real death. No, no, no. So they're both real deaths, you guys. Here's the deal. <laughs> they're both real deaths. But We're so dead. there's uh, so there's Mikhail, right? Daddy from back in the day, the right. 1918 festival that never happened. It was postponed because... But uh, it really happened. But it did really happen. Or did they stage it for photographs? And Mikhail had died because he was the murdered... And then, and that was because he was German. And that's the part I in don't, Australia when yeah. it was unpopular to be German. Yes, I guess. And well, so, it was because a generation, basically, everyone died. All the young men died, but the Germans came back. And how is that fair? And so it's true. about it's about racism, but it's like even though literally Germans are thirty race. seconds of the hour of that episode addresses what the entire yeah. episode is actually about. Yeah, yeah. it's and also about that, like in isolation. As the small town gets farther and farther away from... Mm-hmm. So you're saying it's a Ken Burns documentary? I don't know. Where he talks about that whole town in Maine where everybody dies in the Civil War. Probably. Yeah. And it's like way too much plot for an hour. Mm-hmm. You try right. really hard to follow mm-hmm. along. There's lots of panning but over photos. they need to just this learn the number one rule of mysteries. Did. No one actually cares yeah, who no did what cares. or why. No one cares. No one really cares. It just yeah. make I it pretty. And let's talk care. about mo- people might fall in mines. There are snakes mm-hmm. in drawers. Uh, this is Australia, after all. Yeah. You have to kill your own dinner at the restaurant. You got a drawer snake. You got a mine you can <laughs> fall <snake>. into. <laughs> Who knows? Anything could happen. But yeah, so everybody's like, got really big knives. Really, got really, really big, big knives. knives. So, so that's the original murder, right? This is the problem. I think it's convoluted because we're dealing with two murders. But the thing that we're introduced to in the episode is the murder of Mikhail's other son, Oscar, right? So mm. Bobo Colin Firth is Eric, so his brother, Oscar, who's, as far as I can tell, Valma and the sheriff and the doctor were conspiring merely because Oscar was about to find out and reveal that they had killed his father. Back in the day. Back in, in the, the day. Oh, okay. 10 years oh, ago. Oh, the way you say it, it's so simple. I know. It you really should is. recap I mysteries all the time. I should write these, you guys. They'd be clearer. <laughs> There'd be way better sex scenes. Oh, they gosh, would I not take that. place in a your death whole vet. career thus far is the perfect Venn diagram. Like you are the chosen one. <laughs> you know things about stories. You're good at sex. You scenes. can write. You teach writing. You should do that. Sailor St. Clair, new mystery writer. Huh. You'd be really good. I do. Mm-hmm. I do really like mysteries. It's like how my would you have genre. rewritten? And I, maybe this is a question for everyone. How would you have rewritten mm-hmm. the seduction scene? The wine seduction it has to be a wine seduction. I, uh, you have to I, use the grape shears for like snipping off clothing or something. That's for yours. You can have Ooh, the wine. That's good yes. and dangerous. I like it. Right? Ooh, a little bit of danger. <laughs> Hmm. I would I so because my particular favorite fan fiction trope is when two the detectives who bone get stuck <laughs> in a space that's too tight. Yes. Uh, oh, or of course. they get like stuck in a closet this or a seems thing. Taken. So they would accidentally get stuck in a wide barrel. Oh. 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 And they're like, it's so hot in this wide barrel. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> Will somebody oh. please write me that fan and fiction? And as long as no one puts the cork in the top, they won't suffocate. So oh, cool. Jojo, you are empowered hmm. to write your own yeah. fan okay. fiction about this. All right. No. I, I don't write you. fan fiction. I hire my friends to perform it. <laughs> true. Thank you very much. That is true. And we are all grateful I'm, for that. I will be in the front row of that show when you put it on. If we put it on again. Yeah. I hope we get to put it on again. 
But you need to have a sequel. You can have the wine crushing. Just the wine crush. Oh, There'd just yeah. be a scene where I'd be like, everyone, you know that scene from Death on the Vine? I mean, uh, wine. Uh, what's the one I you call? called it? Children of the Thank Wine. Thank you very much. I've been <laughs> drinking wine. Here's the a different scene, the one that we wrote. It's much better. Yes. And you put ponchos along the first row, mm. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like a Gallagher routine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. It's explosive and juicy, but only for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> VIP That's tickets. gross. Yep. I took it to a place and I went there. Uh, and you it's went great. there. Uh, the episode has the uh, proposal. Adorbs. How, how do you guys feel about that? Adorbs. Hugh really needs to read a room. <laughs> I mean, this poor boy. This is why we love him, is it oh, not? Oh, it, it's painful to watch him sort of kind of get down on one knee. And, like, meanwhile. Oh, that part is painful. Dot is is definitely busy. She's busy. Like, she's got yeah. something I'm she's working. doing. Yeah. It's also super creepy in this town. And she's had a night. And he's coming in like, Dot, let's take this romantic Will side Will you marry trip. me in like, this murder town theme park? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yes, yes, a thousand times. Yes, Chandler. (laughs) He just doesn't get the headless priest. Let's get married in Halloween town. Okay. (laughs) He's very sweet and he really is trying, but he he just needs to pick up on some cues. That's his charm. Yeah. Right. We love Hugh because yeah. he doesn't know. You know what? He's not Jack. He's I not feel suave like and savvy. I... He's not like, he doesn't know that Shakespeare exists. He has to be told that it exists. Okay, but at the same time, I'm also tired of being a woman making allowances for a dude who can't read social cues. Totally fair. Can I get an amen totally on that? Totally fair. But she, yep, doesn't, no, she doesn't try to help him. She just moves on. Well, you know what? If I were working, I'd be like, not now. I'm working. Yeah. yeah. She kind of does. I know. Which she kind of does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's also she doesn't have time to like, explain to him how to be social. Screw up this proposal. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to take over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think us as modern women are very appreciative of. Yeah. Yes. Right? And that's the nice thing about the dot plot in this episode, as dot we were plot. already talking about the dot plot, uh, is that she's so coming into that being a modern woman. And it's her whole large arc for the yeah. series, right? So we get to see her doing that by being ready in that wonderful scene with Phryne's gun where she's like on it, right? Um, the gun and, under the mattress. Yes. And all of those reactions to Hugh kind of getting in her way, I think, uh, are a nice way to move her character forward that, like, yes, if that was happening to us, we'd be like, oh, dude, please. Like, really? But in a storytelling perspective, she looks great. Yeah. She's so mm-hmm. moving into this space of becoming more like Franny, and that's so nice to see. Um, and even taking over the proposal at the end, I really liked as well. I think, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but I think becoming a feminist or whatever has been a process for all of us. Yeah, and, totally. you know, I think... Now that we are we are all older than Dot is here, and so uh, there's some element of watching Dot here, and then thinking back to how you were when you were first figuring these things out, and and I don't know. I have so much like conversations you suffered through. I know, and I and I think like, oh God, if only older me could have been there to like point me in that direction. But so I I look at Dot, and I am so proud of her because she is navigating these waters so much better than I ever did. Mm -hmm. Oh my God! Well, she has a Friday. She has a team of writers as well. Oh yeah, that's true too. Only I did not have a team of writers. Only yeah, I find myself thinking that all the time. Like I could have handled this so much better if I had a team. A team of Australian writers. Seriously. Also wardrobe team, makeup team, Mm -hmm. hair team. Hello. 
Yeah. We'd be, we'd be unstoppable. Can, exactly. Well, that's it, right? Everybody needs everybody needs a team, and I think that there are uh, versions of feminism that are very like collectivity oriented, right? Yeah. And that's not in the like Hollywood sense. No, which but is like just a my favorite feminist advice blog, Captain Awkward, talks about who will be on your team. Right. You. Right. Hmm. Right. It's about who is who's there to support us, who's right. there in our community, who's there to get us through. The rest the world. of the team is really missing on this episode too, which I think mm-hmm. sort of takes away a lot of the. Uh, why we normally love the show. It's like this is one of the least favorite favorite episodes amongst fans, I think, is because the team ain't there. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Although Jack's jurisdiction is amazingly large, again, yeah. he just yeah. waltzes it's into like, any little tiny town where a there's two a two-hour drive. We looked modern. it up. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Two-hour drive. Two. <laughs> yeah. What other fun facts did you find out about this episode? I'm a detective inspector in this completely different place. I'll yeah. take over now. I learned a lot about various Australian wine regions. Oh. Including that mm. I went to a winery when I was eight. <gasps> I really? Yeah, I was telling oh, my mom. You can drink wine when you're eight in yeah, Australia? Apparently you can. No, Do you I, remember the name? They give you the breadsticks. I sticks. don't. Okay. I have no idea because I was eight. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. How dare Did, you not remember? I remember the name of the one that I went to when I was nine. So, oh, yeah? Uh, f- so Mary and I learned today that we both went to Australia as young children, um, roughly around the same age. I went to Hunter Valley. Um, which is maybe two hours east of Sydney. So it's in New South Wales. Okay. And um, it was like a winery and B&B. I remember this. And I also remember that there were packs of wild kangaroo that would what? run through the land. And, and so steal your wallets. No, that was a different thing. <laughs> and so, and those were wallabies. Okay. Kangaroo would just murder Just you. think wallet, wallaby. Wallet, Thank wallaby. you. And so there was a creek that ran through the the farm or the vineyard, and they were like, don't cross that. That's where the kangaroos are. (laughs) (laughs) Man. But you would wake up and you would watch this, like, pack or herd or whatever the collective noun of kangaroos is. It's probably something like a, I don't know, boxing ring I want to call it a cuddle of kangaroos. Oh, very nice. That's ironic. Um, I like that. But so anyway, that's the vineyard I remember. Okay. So you went to a vineyard when you were young. I did. And we were, I think, leaving from Adelaide. So there's north of Adelaide is Barossa, Mm -hmm. that's the region, and then south is McLaren Vale, which Mm -hmm. is a little tiny town. So it's one of those two regions that I have been to as an eight-year-old who did not appreciate anything at that time. I was just going to say, who takes their eight-year-old to a winery? That's that's some sophisticated tourism right there. People who make wine for fun. That's Mm -hmm. why I went. Well, when I was eight, my parents (laughs) took me to the Monet retrospective at the MFA in Boston. And look how that set you up for your life, right? We have some cultured-ass family vacations when we were all growing up. Thank Mm -hmm. your parents for that. I I went turkey hunting. Franzia to the rescue. No, Did you know you. that I'm the Oregon State turkey calling champion two years in a row? Cheers. Turkey calling? Wait, I'm sorry, back yes. up. Like, like yeah, yeah I'm not going to do it. Come, you know, no, you have no, to. Pay, Cheers. That's the rule. You have to drop that. You have to pay Dude, me a She lot just more bought money. you wine. <laughs> And are you still the reigning turkey call that, Well, it only existed for those two years. You're going to have to defend your crown. 1989, so um, I actually, no, I can't. I've hung up my <laughs> my turkey collar. I don't actually have it with me. It's a device. Oh. Wait. Not oh. an internal device, you don't but just it's a device. Feel like, you don't just like. No, it's not vocal. Do that organic turkey calling business. No, I don't. Hmm. I'm. Wow. Not a virtuoso. But wow. Wow. Hmm. This is amazing. I bet that there's like an American Association of Turkey Callers. I bet. What if there's like a kangaroo association of kangaroo callers? (laughs) Every year, 
I like the idea that there's an American Association of Turkey Collars and that you don't know about it and yet you are venerated within it. Right. And that they've been looking for you for years. <laughs> the Oregon State We're looking Turkey for that 1988-89 Turkey yes, Collar champion she was from 10 Oregon. Years old. Like, she could she could be anything now. Yeah, like they talk about you like you're on the side of a milk carton. They're like, what have you seen this turkey collar? Stiletto. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've gotten way off. Oh, this no. Is great. no this, um, is good. this is pretty par for the it's, course. Yeah, for it's, very good. it's very good. Um, I, I just actually I keep thinking about, like, if I had written this episode, the murderer would have been a kangaroo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hmm. Yes, like that uh, famous American urban legend where an owl actually does kill somebody. Except for for you, it's like, the kangaroo did it. Might be the dingo, H-O-I-V. I can't believe I had to wait that long to put that in there. Way off course. Yeah. Wait that long. Okay. Mary, go to your notes. Yeah. Okay. Costumes. That's always a safe place. Oh, there's nothing to talk about. I got some. I got nothing to talk about. Come on, let Chandler do it. Menswear beat. Okay. Menswear beat. Okay. We have got some rocking. Okay. First of all, this is the knitwear episode because another 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 cue that it is fall and Bobo Colin Firth. Oh, he is like all about the knitwear. Yes, he, but his is not knit. Actually, his oh, his scarf is a twill, a woven mm, twill plaid. Sweater vest is knit. That's right? true. That is knit. That's he's got this kind of Aaron Fisherman's. Except you usually don't see Aaron knitting in vest form. Usually, it's a whole hog sweater or nothing. Um, we also have the doctor is in two different. Tattersall shirts. Now, for those unfamiliar with what Tattersall is, and I know Mary is looking at me like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> um, Tattersall is a plaid. It's like a twill. I think it's twill. Most plaids are twill. Um, it, so it's a it's a linear plaid where the vertical lines are a different color from the horizontal lines. Usually it's mm-hmm. red and blue, mm-hmm. but which is what he's wearing, I think, at the beginning. He's wearing like a, a standard, bog standard Tattersall shirt. But then at the end, like when we see him again towards the end, when we find out that he's all murdery and stuff, he's wearing this massive Tattersall that's in autumnal colors of like orange and olive. And each check is like an inch and a half in size. It is ridiculous. And I fell in love. He also had a very natty herringbone wool jacket. I did notice that jacket and I was like, cool. It was a beauty. Good. Yeah, it really was. Um, yeah, it's mostly those guys. But you know, I don't know. I love Hugh's suit at the end when he finally gets the proposal out. He wore his best suit. And it's pretty cute. It was a beautiful suit. Yeah. It was a very fine kind of herringbone, almost a chevron. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. <laughs> you could take him home to meet mom in that mm-hmm. suit. Mm-hmm. It was very nice. Mm-hmm. Even though he's a Protestant. Well, we'll work on that. As we'll find out later. Actually, yeah, I lied. That's all I have. There mm-hmm. really wasn't mm-hmm. much in this. Well, what Franny, what Franny wears at the end for the sex wine tasting... She's like made of wine and sex. Yeah, it's like velvet and wine yes. colored. You just yeah. want to touch her. Like that. Really. Mm. Like there's some, that. That scene does. Uh, it looks very luscious. Maybe yeah. like that scene has a good mouth feel. <laughs> it has. It just something like. And it's like the rich colors of her parlor or back. That blue mm-hmm. wall. And Jack is. We're whole, out of Brownland. We're out of Brownland. We're back into Franny's world, which is Technicolor. Or jewel toned, mm-hmm. and, yes. and Jack is holding up that uh, fireplace so very well. <laughs> As he does. Thank God, that thing might tip over what one day. What would we do? <laughs> we need a statue of that man. Let's just do it. To manufacture and sell and lean against fireplaces. Yes. Great. <laughs> or like it's a doorstop. Like, it's like, like a, a non offensive oh, lawn jockey. <laughs> it's like, a lawn jack. <laughs> no, it's lawn a fire. Jackie? Oh my oh, God. A fireplace jack. You can send yeah, your royalty checks on. to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh yeah, that's. I mean, like I think it's like you watch that episode. If you rewatch it, uh, the the goal should be like just get through it so you can get to the end scene. Mm. Yeah, because the end well, end two scenes are so delightful mm. because you see how you have Passy, you see Passy, you see Franny passing through uh, the engage or the engagement scene, the proposal scene, mm-hmm. uh, on her way to uh, wine seduction with Jack, which is really nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. can we talk about that green coat? Now this okay. Oh, now you made I, a face. I loved the scarf, and you got y'all hated the scarf. I bet maybe it's the opposite for this coat. It's ha- oppositesies. I hated that coat. I dug I, it. I really don't like the coat. <gasps> I really it don't. looks it like a couch I once had. So she has worn coats of that same pattern. Yeah. Before. And yes. I love cut is the great. Pattern. No beef on the cut. Cut's great. It but is that green schlubby. It's like a boucle, right? It yeah. is. It's like yeah. a tweed boucle. It's a couch. Yeah. She's wearing a couch <laughs> with that, a fur collar. At that point, she could wear anything but that horrible plain colored jacket and that horrible scarf. Anything she'd put on, I would be appreciative of. <laughs> Maybe I liked it because I do sort of like jackets that look like couches. Um, I recall. Well, honey, the, if we got the <laughs> we got the couch jacket for you, you need a tumbler. I think there's an entire warehouse jackets of like, that look like couches. All look no further than the 1970s. Oh yes, I know. And and the thing is, this, that's not a decade I particularly like aesthetically. Except I'm starting to come into it. All you need to do is Coming watch watch old seasons of All in the Family. That whole show is like one giant brown upholstery fabric. It's very true. <laughs> very true. Yeah. yeah. That we keep actually flipping through our notes thinking that we're going to find more things to talk about. And I'm like, I got nothing. <laughs> I have, I have one thing. Okay, okay you go. go. Okay, so I, you know how I always research one thing? I could not find a damn thing to research because I was like, well, the other girls are going to research the wine stuff and I'm not going to. So the one thing I did research was when Jack wants to look at the other, the bumbling sexist cop number 45, mm-hmm. wants to look at his gun... And I was thinking, like, he's, like, checking to see if he's the one who fired that shot. And I'm thinking, did they have ballistics in 1929? Ooh, tell us. By George, they did. And, in fact, I only have a little bit here because it's really not that interesting. (laughs) But, so, in 1902, Oliver Wendell Holmes, yes, the U.S. Supreme Court Justice, or he would be later, was the very first to figure out that, um, uh, at least the first in the 20th century, to figure out that certain guns... Individual guns made individual markings. And so he hmm. fired a pistol into cotton wool to save the bullet. And he, with a magnifying glass, compared the markings on the bullet with the markings in the inside of his gun, which was the kind of the birth of modern oh. ballistics. Oh. And wow. in 1925, so just shortly before this would have been done, um, in, in the U.S., in New York City, um, Charles Waite and a chemist by the name of Philip... Gravel, I believe, and John Fisher, who invented the helixometer, which is what they used. It's like a fancy microscope thing for looking into a gun. They started the first um, forensic ballistics department in New York City. So they figured out that, like, you can figure out murders. So you can do more than what Jack did, which is just like, yep, six bullets. You didn't do it. (laughs) exactly. So I was like, I I honestly thought that's where he was going to go. I was like, oh, is he going to, like, look in the gun to see, like, the markings? Yeah, yeah, and I thought about that when he looked and just checked the number of bolts in the chamber. I was like, why wouldn't if I were going to murder a person? Welcome to Murder Corner with me. Just get another bullet and put it in there. Another bullet, exactly. I'm like, why would you leave it? Which is why I was thinking ballistics, and and it's the twenties. But we're assuming that a lot of murders happen unmeditated, right? Sure. So would you have thought to clearly to put? 
Yeah, you would have. No, okay, no, 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 no. Here's my other thing, right? So if it's an unmeditated, right? Like, let's say it's a crime of passion. I live in Australia in the 1920s. We have clearly established on this podcast that sometimes things that live in Australia with you will try to kill you. Right. Dingoes, drawer snakes, weird old cops in small Scarves, towns. Rabbit wallabies. I might have to shoot something, and there's a perfectly legitimate reason for that. So vicious the platypuses. Of, vicious platypi. So the number of bullets platypi. in my gun does not necessarily indicate Sexist that I have murdered a person. Right? Doesn't necessarily indicate that I've murdered a person. Maybe I had to shoot a dingo. You don't know. Right? That's true. Now, granted, then they would be like, where's the dingo's corpse? Let's figure this out. It's right? mine shaft. It's just, mine shaft. Yeah, hello? What do you think all those mine shafts are for? They're just full of corpses. <laughs> full of corpses. Well, as we'll learn. Oh. Oh. Christmas episode. Christmas episode. Mine shaft full of corpses. Uh, yeah. On, on mine shafts full of other things, though, I now actually wish that... Uh, it's my full first of things album. That you might, <laughs> mine shafts full of other things. I wish that I had looked up what the um, mining... Um, uh, exports were in this small town because I know in Australia one of the gosh things... I wish you had <laughs> in uh, in other parts of Australia opals is a big and that's why I thought did you look that up no but I looked at, at I looked at Doc's no. ring at the end and I was like that better be an opal yeah that it just better it's damn well be an a opal very modest ring probably well opals I think are they, yeah dip- cheaper than diamonds they are semi precious yeah, yeah. semi precious yeah. but I so this was also my Australia trip when I was nine years old was many things here's a brief overview my mother was a nurse we were going for a medical conference that she was attending and so she was like let's bring the whole family my father is an ex-sailor that's where I get my name and he's like that's the one place I've never been I'll get on a 14-hour plane for that and so we brought my grandmother and her second husband my grandmother's second husband was an amateur winemaker so every Everything we did on this trip was something that somebody in the group wanted to do. So, like, my grandmother, obsessed with fine jewelry, oh. insisted that we drive to an opal mine. Oh, yeah. I do not know how far away from Sydney we were, but we drove out to a I'd damn opal mine. I'd be out there with your mine. grandma. And she bought so many opals, and she she passed last spring, and I just recently organized all of the, I, when I cleaned out her house, I just threw all of her fine jewelry into a hope chest and, like, dragged it, drove it home from California. So I finally organized it. There's a lot of opals that I own, y'all, and they're from Australia. Hmm. They're from that trip, and it's stuff that she bought there that she never had made into anything. Hmm. Um, but, she, yeah, I don't so know So they how were just, m- like, raw, they, they were, like... Unset opals. Unset opals. You can make a, a beautiful brooch. Mm-hmm. Lots of black opals. That's what I think Fire of. opals. Hmm. She bought a whole bunch of opals. That was her jam in Australia. We went to that winery I mentioned because my her husband wanted to go. And uh, then I got to hold koalas because they were like, what can a nine-year-old do in Australia? <laughs> what would she like to do? Probably hold some animals. Yeah. yeah. I held a koala wow. as well. It's yep. one of my only memories. So you went to what? Cud- Cuddle Farm? Is Cud- that what they- it was called Cuddle Creek. I remember Cuddle this. Creek. And uh, their their big interaction is being able to cuddle koalas. That's why it's called Cuddle Creek. But there were also these kind of open areas where you could interact with some other Australian animals, like a pen full of wallabies who were so used to getting treats from humans, particular biscuits that you could buy to feed the wallabies in the gift shop, that they had figured out where on most male humans those treats were kept, which was often the back pocket. Therefore, they might mistake a wallet 
for some biscuits. biscuits. Those little pickpockets. Those little, little wallet wallaby, wallaby pick- pickpockets. Wallet wallaby pickpockets. They stole my dad's wallet, realized like it wasn't a biscuit. <laughs> They're not trained by hypnotists. No. They're actually nope. self-taught. Just instinct. They picked out, they picked his wallet, picked his pocket, looked at his wallet, realized it wasn't a biscuit, oh, and threw it on the ground. A pickpocket wallaby named Jane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you're planning for our next pet. <laughs> You're like, we've got a backyard. Let's we adopted this wallaby. one because she had a life of crime before she came to <laughs> us. <laughs> oh. Uh. <laughs> so the one scene that I really, really liked in this actually was the lemon grove oh, scene yeah. because it was like the one splash of color in mm. the whole thing. I'm like, look at all those pretty lemons. And even her dress has some color to it. But that weird Let's plot. Li- I know. I know. Let her, mm. let her I, in a scarecrow. What? Honestly, I was like not even <laughs> listening to the soundtrack at that point. I was like, let me just live in this pretty scene because I'm starved of beauty in this episode. <laughs> I'm like, what is even happening? Why are we now getting to this weird plot about notes being left in a, in a scarecrow? It's that's one to me. It's like it. It's there's so if much you happening. Had yeah. unrec- or you had forbidden German love and forbidden German poet. Like, wouldn't you stick it in a scarecrow? Yes, that. I mean, that's, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, yes, that you leave the forbidden it's love. It's an notes. interesting part of the story. I know that like, for the probably why they daughter. kept it because it was interesting. But like, it convolutes the plot so much mm-hmm. at that point that I'm just like. I have no idea what's happening anymore. It convolutes the plot, but here's what it gets us, friends, and this payoff is worth it. Jack reading German love poetry. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. Thank you for framing it. And I, I wrote down somewhere in here. Oh, yeah, I wrote, Jack sprechen Sie Deutsch? <laughs> <laughs> He's a man of many talents. He, he really is. He understands Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. He understands German love poems. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he did serve in the war. Oh, yes. True. So. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine, by the way, his recommendation for Hugh to look for love poetry was to look in Twelfth Night. And I can't imagine what speech that might have been hmm. uh, that he would be referring to. And I'm like, is he just meaning the opening? Like, should he propose with if music be the food of love play on? Like, that, that Orsino's speech at the top of that play would maybe be the best choice I can think of. I guess this is for your listeners. I'm asking them to write okay. into you with what they might imagine. She's asking for a book report. She isn't. Mm-hmm. Give me she a book report. Asking I would like for a book report. I need what? 300 words on There's what? There's at least <laughs> 10 fan fictions that have already uh, figured out what he's talking about. I've not read them. I didn't bother because I spent my whole time trying to remember why you cleanse a I'm barrel with thinking, sulfur. You know, I'm just thinking props for not picking Romeo and Juliet like everybody else did. Oh, yeah. Like the whole mm-hmm. I'm 14 and I just took a roofie mm-hmm. from a priest <laughs> from a priest thank you sassy gay friend <laughs> thank you sassy gay friend <laughs> what 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 are you this doing? episode definitely <laughs> needed a sassy gay friend oh something. so many yeah. things could a have been avoided bit of life that's what this episode needed is that color what you're wearing really Maybe, like i expect oh, an scarf. episode about wine everything's brown why is everything brown to be more full of life mm-hmm. and this one is so absolutely dead yeah and that's yeah why. when you think of harvest you don't think uh you think of like Life and yeah. warmth and togetherness and, and light. That's not, what that harvest party should be. Right, when you have a harvest party, and not like is, withered crap and dead people. Yeah. Like, no, not yeah. not like Friday walking in and literally the rec- the the jukebox stopping. Right, it's <laughs> yeah. going on. Um, speaking of life, uh, we do have a second bottle of wine. I was just going to bring that up. Shall we try our second bottle? I was bottle? just hurriedly chugging the rest of mine. <laughs> um, oh, let me help you. Shall with I? That. I'll read this one for us since I am holding it. So this is from. Our R.L. Bueller and Son in Victoria. This is a Victoria Tawny, which, hi, a Tawny Port. Oh, it's Port. It's Port. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Which is 
why we have it last? Because it's basically it's dessert yeah. wine. Dessert it's dessert time. Well, Podcast dessert. Is there a story with this one, too? Uh, Patrick recommended it. All right, Patrick. And Patrick clearly knows he knows his stuff, and I can about. tell you right now that I'm going to be spending more on wine than I ever have before. Because Shout I out to Patrick. Patrick. Did you tell him about market? the podcast? Oh, hell yes, I did. Oh, I, I gave him the card. He and said he his said, wife would love it, right? Yeah, but he, he also will love it. Like, it wasn't just a, oh, this you're isn't gonna, for me, that my wife will love gonna it. You're going to come back and be like, oh, we talked about you. <laughs> yeah, support. Also, this is Tacoma, so it probably is going to turn out that we know his wife and we run into her all the time yeah, or something. Yeah, it's like, very possible. Oh, yes, the one time we went out to dinner with you when both of you We ran into, like, five people. You held court that restaurant. <laughs> that was really good. It's a real small town. Small town. I'll let you finish okay. before okay. you. Thank you, yes. You pour your own you don't wanna, I don't drink port. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Uh, my grandmother loved port in particular because she liked sweet wines. It's just, it's like sweet feet wine to me. Sweet, sweet feet. feet wine. Oh, don't you think that's appropriate for it this episode? What did you think of the Syrah Viognier blend? I liked oh, it. It was really good. I liked, I liked it, it a lot. It yeah. does. It, and I actually am not like a red wine person. I'm more of a white wine person. It mm. felt like kissing spicy red lips. Mm-hmm. Oh. So Goodness. in this, in this nice. case, we are Bobo Colin Firth and this wine is Friday. This wine is Friday. Basically. <laughs> Great. Can I be the actual Colin Firth in this scenario? Sure. Does that mean you have to stand Mm. in the corner and be all stalkerish and stare at us? No. Okay. Not that version of Colin Firth. Because, yeah. I would like the Colin Firth emerging from uh, a lake wearing a white shirt. Oh, oh. Thank you. I was thinking more Bridget Jones Colin Firth. Emerging from it, like because there's thing. ugly sweaters involved. Okay, oh, yeah. you're going Love Actually rescuing his own book from the lake. <gasps> no! Yes, I'm talking about Pride and Prejudice. When he went for the swim. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, great. Either one. This is very raisiny, which is what a port should smell like. So mm. that's right on. Uh, do you guys want to know about the wine making process? Yes, in, yes, we do. As reflected in this episode versus my experiences as a reluctant winemaker when I was a child. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, but so this was a hobby that my grandma, grandmother's second husband had. And uh, as he became a part of our family, it became a thing that we did as well. And I think they started dating when I was maybe six years old. So from that point on until I was about 14, once or twice a year every fall, I would be awoken very early in the morning and... (laughs) By a snake in the drawer. (laughs) By a drawer snake. Uh, I would be awoken very early in the morning. From your wine shaft bed. (laughs) Wine shaft. Mine shaft. From the the barrel in which I sleep. Um, And so we would all meet up at uh, one of his properties where he had his wine cellar in the basement of one of the properties he owned. And we would caravan with a bunch of other old Italian dudes and their wives and children and drive up to Napa where he had arranged to purchase second pickings from let's say Gallo, we bought some of their second pickings once. So you could, cause you can do that. You can call a winery and be like, yo, can I have your leftovers? Um, after their first harvest, you can buy any remainder. Wow. So we would buy remainder grapes. Just know that. I bet you could do that here if yeah. you wanted. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's, I don't know how much it costs. It probably varies, but if you wanted to do that, you could. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would go up, we would take his super old Chevy pickup, take a bunch of crates, Pick in the vineyard for a while, fill this up with, uh, fill up that truck with grapes, bring it back down to my hometown, Crockett, California. And uh, my grandmother would have prepared a lot of charcuterie plates. And we would do the, we would stem them. We had a machine that would take all the stems off. Hmm. And then we would 
run them through a crusher. So rather than using our feet, we have a machine. Um, so after it gets stemmed, it goes into a mash vat. And when you crush it, the reason you're doing that is to get the grapes to release their sugars, right? And so the sugars help that fermentation process. So it sits in that vat for a couple weeks. We drink last year's wine uh, while, uh, while that happens and eat a bunch of cheese and salami. And then usually two to three weeks later is when we would start to do the full crush where you've got to press all of that fermented wine out of the skins. Hmm. And then, oh, so the skins are still in it at this point. Yes. It's like, it's almost like, it sounds like it's like blanching a tomato. Like In you, some ways, yeah. yeah. It's just mixed with hot, it's hot water. You add a little yeast to uh, help the fermentation process. You let that sit for a while um, and then you press it. And uh, it the presser looks like a medieval torture device, uh, at least the one that Ed owned. Sweet. It's like a barrel that's been cut in half and that uses its head to smash grapes. Mm. It's kind of like those cider, like those apple cider presses, like the, like these big wooden racks yes. with like the yes, hand yes. crank thing on the top. Totally. And yeah. That's totally what it looks like. So then you get your free run juice and uh, that's the stuff that you refine. Um, some bigger wineries will put it through a fining process so that you get little bits of extra skin and stuff out. Mm. Um, yeah, so what is it that has sediments? Is it champagne has sediment? There's some wine that has sediment in it. A uh, red wine can. Okay, is that what that comes from? Is that yeah, the process? Yeah, if, if you put it into, if you put it through a fining process where you might like strain it through um, Isenglass is something that they use a lot. Whoa. Oh, uh, well, no, sorry. That's not, <laughs> that's not like right. Like what Laura Ingalls Wilder um, made, made windows out of that Isenglass? There's something that has a very similar name to that. That I is, know this stuff. I like that you know that. I have a random crap. Uh, <laughs> I think it has a tiny bit of that in it because I believe that's made from fish and that's why sometimes wines aren't vegan. Oh. Sometimes. Not everybody uses that, but you can just use So it's like that keratin stuff that like fingernails and hair. And, yeah, it's mm. like a thin little porous thing that catches the sediment. So most wine that you buy in a store won't have sediment. Stuff we make at home, full of it. Oh, yeah. Whenever um, you drink a home bottle, do not drink the last gulp. Do not. Advises Aunt do, Franzia. Do not. I know. That you is did not that for once. you. You did that, that once. That's a bad idea. Ooh. Um, so then... Um, then you get that free, the free run is what comes directly off of that press, and you can find that or not. We never did. And then you get into, uh, you, then you get to barrel it. And it goes into the barrel for three to six months, depending on what you want to do. You can also barrel it longer. Sometimes we've barreled our stuff for a year. Um, I couldn't tell you the difference in varietals based on how long it's going to sit and ferment in that barrel. And were there special types? Like I know there's because like you oak were like barrels 10. for some types of alcohol. And yeah, we used all oak barrels. Okay. And this was the thing I was having trouble remembering in the episode is I was like, why is he doing, why is he using the sulfur? Because I remember Ed, my grandfather, having to do that. And we would always uh, drop, a, burn a bit of sulfur in each barrel before we would put the wine into ferment in its oak cask for a year. And we always, and we always bought oak, as I said. And the reason that you do that is that that's the only little bit of, that's a little bit of preservative. So it helps to clean out anything old because you reuse barrels because right. mm -hmm. barrels are expensive and you don't want to just use them once and throw them away. Um, so it also adds, it cleans out the barrel. It adds a little bit of oxidization so that you get that kind of oaky flavor into the wine. And that's a twofer process. And it also allows for a little bit of preservative in the wine. Hmm. Because here's the thing about home brewing. Because we're not adding any additional preservatives into our wines, they do become vinegar after a while. Oh. It does not have the shelf life of hmm. something like this where you might have this bottle for 30 years and it might be really good. Okay, Ours are like 
10 max, if that. So, Grandpa Wine, drink fast. Mm-hmm. Mr. Butler was sadly missing from this he episode. Was. He would have been great with this. He would have known what kind of glass to use. Mm-hmm. He would He would have been all over he it. He would have made that that the the sad wine party, the Harvest Festival, more exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he would have been able to dispose of the snake, I yes. think. That really was the most pathetic he harvest. Would've... You know, small towns know how to do harvest festivals. Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. the it's lamest fun. harm yeah. festival. When you were a yeah. child, when you had these things, mm-hmm. you guys, was it joyful? Yeah, all the old Italian people really loved it. And in retrospect, I wish that I had had that joy and I wish I'd appreciated it. I didn't actually realize that I had a cool thing going for me, like as a kid who grew up knowing how to make wine and like being able to drink it because my parents were like, here, we made this, have a little bit, which all the kids got in my family got to do. I didn't realize that that was cool until I went to college and uh, I was in Santa Barbara and at this time the movie Sideways had come out. Oh, right. And I saw that movie with my roommates at an academy screening that happened to be at my university and I was like, oh, yeah, I, did you guys know that I, I used to make wine? And they're like, shut up. So then I started bringing, I would told my parents about that, and my dad started sending me back to school with cases of wine. Oh, the most <laughs> so popular I girl. Was so popular because all of our friends would come to our apartment and be like, oh, your dad's wine is so great. Here's the thing. It's like, dad wine is not good, but it is wine. <laughs> That's true. And it when you're wine. in college. It's not good, but it is wine. But it is wine. Which and when you're in college, me. you're like, yes, this is free wine. Yeah. And it's pretty strong. Ed and my dad like a high alcohol content. Mm. So is there a way really to control for that? Like that today, there is longer fermentation. Or, yes, okay. it has something to do with the fermentation um, in the initial barrel when all the skins and stuff are in. Oh. Um, so that's when you're working on getting the bricks up, and the bricks is the sugar content. Hmm. Um, and so uh, I don't remember the correlation whether it's high sugar content or low sugar content that relates to alcohol. I imagine high wow. sugar is more alcohol. Uh, yeah, that's what I imagine. Also, like jam. Oh. Mm. My husband is very hardcore about never buying commercial pectin, so he always uses the natural pectin that comes in the plant. And what? so the higher the pectin, the finer your the jam. Your imaginary husband is, It's just like wine. Also, I imagine that Y'all you, turn you bring your me to your house. You'll be like, I would like to introduce you to my husband. He's not there. And then you're like, here is his cabinet of jam. And then you open a cabinet and it's empty. It's in the root cellar. <laughs> oh, okay. The every time, movie ever. Every writing, time we have people the, over the story for dinner, that I'm write. every single time he's like, what kind of jam would you like? And they're like, what kind do you have? He's like, no, what kind of jam would you like? Quince. Like you name, yeah. We 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 have membrio, which is made of quince. Do you know we have a quince tree in our backyard? We do. We're Somebody needs to come one. and harvest that quince for us. I think I know someone who might want that. Uh, if oh, he good. comes come get into our house, ha- well, your imaginary husband can climb right this up. This actually ladder. would be a friend who's more into picking quince. Uh huh. Yeah. You see, because he's imaginary. All right, y'all. <laughs> you just need to come over to our house. We're gonna have a thing. You guys can come over and we will have we will have jam. We'll is have a he jam there right tasting. now? Is he there right now? He's actually now. probably at work right now. <laughs> uh-huh. The call's coming from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you do rewatch this episode, watch it as a horror film and to see if it succeeds. I don't think it does very well because I think they're lending to that genre, but it they don't do it. I think it's because you saw Baba Duke and your standards are really seen high. I haven't Baba Duke. Oh, I got like twenty minutes in and I was like, nope. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm by myself in a basement. I'm not gonna watch this right now. (laughs) But I've seen it, and my standards are high, and I loved it. I loved it. I want to watch it so badly. I I don't think I'll be able to sleep. hmm. We need to do this together. I think so. Yeah, get some wine. Maybe at at the Miss Fisher Con, we could be like, can there be a weird 
<laughs> like hotel room screening of the Babadook. I love that. You know, that makes yeah. perfect sense. We could watch it in my basement with the awesome, but it'd be in the basement. <laughs> we have an amazing projector and screen system Ooh. that would be like being in a movie theater. Basements are where Babadooks are, man. Don't That's you, totally not cool. Don't you think it would enhance the experience <laughs> for us? What kind of wine would the Babadook drink? And you could choose amongst your favorite jams in the root cellar, which is in the next room. Is Amazing. A haunted yes. root cellar? I mean, you have a root cellar? Probably. That's terrifying. There's a trundle bed. Oh my have God. you not well, seen the trundle bed? That's a haunted trundle bed. It's a, it you. is a haunted. It oh, is terrifying. Oh, oh. <laughs> You've not made a single comment about anything in this episode relating to architecture oh. or uh, I have one home note. decor. It's because there's hardly any there's architecture nothing. or haunted. In Brown Town, there is nothing interesting. I do have two. I have a couple of notes. There's the crocheted, I think, maybe it's knitted, the blue blanket on their bed when oh, she yeah. like stush, she stashes the uh, the gun under there. I noticed that. That okay. was about the only decor. But the hotel lobby was pretty nice. All that woodwork in there, the etched glass of the doorway, the typography on the plaque of all the dead dudes. Oh, yeah. There was a little bit of decor. Here was this portrait of all these people who are dead. Yes. So tell me about the, the beaded curtain. Huh? You know, that yeah, Velma if, keeps walking through, and, and it, they do a close-up on it at one point. I was like, bordello, Indian restaurant, it's like really, what? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I guess Can they I not afford with... doors in Brown Town? <laughs> <laughs> it, it also you is think, brown. like, because it becomes a Western, why don't they just put saloon doors on sure. there? Sure. Mm-hmm. I think the beaded curtain felt doors. very Hitchcock, though. Right. Yeah. That's I feel like the, yes. Like yeah. the, the slight, okay. like the tickling You cannot quite see through the veil. The way that they did the focus in that shot, I was kind of, I was like trying to be my husband, the film nerd, and like do some cinematography thoughts for this. And that's the one scene where they pull through that curtain and it's in focus and then out of focus and distant and uh, distant focus and long focus. And very horror movie is yes. like how the, everybody's mm-hmm. listening in on the conversation yeah. and like the 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 hotel proprietor is like, oh, um, actually, we don't have any rooms for tonight. <laughs> Yes. Like, but I can see there's only one. The first time I watched this, I do remember that sense of unease, yeah. right? And yeah. also being like, what's going on in this town? Now, in retrospect, we're like, that's just mm-hmm. a not that exciting episode. Right. <laughs> but and that's very, it, was, it was very purposeful. You yeah. know, true. like the thing yeah. is like, it's a very purposeful episode. I think we're supposed to read mm-hmm. into something about what they're saying about how the war has affected this small mm-hmm. town and how it's kind of poisoned it, how it is like a death on the vine. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I think as fans of that show, the thing that makes this one sort of not stand out is that it is kind of lifeless. It yeah. is what it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. Right. It mm-hmm. is what it's supposed to be. But I think in the, the Brown long... Brown Town ain't going to be vibrant. Yeah. <laughs> Brown Town is not a vibrant episode. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe why I think it's it's a, something we can appreciate on how it makes everything else around it seem more vibrant. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. The next mm-hmm. episode uh, oh, yeah. is going to be a lot oh, of fun for you guys oh, yeah. to talk yes. about. Yes. So Especially a podcast the about the podcast yes. episode. Yes. <laughs> a podcast within a podcast? Yes. yes. Will you guys please super go meta. It's like those things that are movies about movies being filmed within movies. You Will know? you guys please uh, go undercover for your next podcast and have <gasps> alter egos? Oh, and oh. for another podcast. <laughs> for another podcast. Oh. <laughs> we can be the poking horns or whatever. <laughs> what, what is that name? In the, it's I, the play that they do. Oh God, I don't even know. Okay. I need to rewatch the it. The dead air horns. Yes, yes. Oh, it's, the the, it's called it's the Yellow Tail. <laughs> <laughs> there was more shifty looks in that oh, episode yeah. than like any mm-hmm. other combined mm-hmm. of that show. Totally, I do love Clem, the town sheriff. 
He's kind of like an Australian yeah. J.K. Simmons. Like he's got this. Oh, I noticed that. Glinty, yeah. mischievous. At some point, though, he turns the warm on. Like at mm-hmm. the end, yeah. when he's explaining mm-hmm. what happens, like he becomes someone that we really almost want to identify with a little bit. Like we get it in a way, and mm-hmm. that's why I think this episode was really hard to like yeah. figure out what the hell was going on because yeah. it's like all of a sudden you're like. Oh, maybe that does mm-hmm. make sense. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird episode, I think, because it's trying to do so many genres. And as you were talking about um, how it makes the other episodes around this shine, I was thinking about how mysteries are supposed to work. And here's the hallmark of a good mystery. So there's two aspects, right? One is that you always want the detective to be smarter than you because you need that detect. A good detective should be steps ahead of you as the reader. It's too easy in a really well-plotted mystery if you can call the shots. And for some readers, that's super fun, right? Mm. Some people are like, oh, I like knowing ahead of the characters. But if it's really well-written, it should be smarter than the reader. Um, the second thing that you want to look for if something is a, a very good mystery is something that um, theorist Catherine Belsey calls the interrogative text. And she talks about this with Sherlock Holmes mysteries. Mm. So she says that because Holmes is the kind of detective who is always 10 steps ahead of the reader, always smarter than the reader, the pleasure in reading is trying to beat Holmes and then rereading and reviewing the text mm, once you know the mm-hmm, solution to right. see if you can find all those clues. Yeah. And in JoJo saying, you know, she kind of enjoyed it the first time that she watched this, I was thinking about that and I thought this is, and I've seen this twice too, right? Except I didn't have any of that pleasure the first time I saw it. And so for me, this is not a good mystery. And it's not a good mystery yeah. maybe because it's a mystery plus a horror, plus a Western, plus a war story. Mm-hmm. It's too many things too many at genres. once. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it it's is, not pure, right? You know, and reading that summary, if it took me literally 20 minutes to read a summary of it, like a very detailed summary, but like that's that's too much. Yeah, mm-hmm. like there's too much going and on. And it's not, I think it's not necessarily hour. the crossing, because mysteries cross genres all the all time. The time. All the time. Like they're always themed, blah, blah, blah. Right, but it's totally. just too many. Too many genres. Mm-hmm. Too many and too much and not, and doesn't adhere enough to the main structure of a mystery for us to have pleasure in looking back. We, at least, I can't speak for the two of you, although it seems like from our discussion, we were all confused about the plot. Yeah. Uh, yes. And if we're returning to a mystery we've already watched, we should be like, Wait. Oh, yeah, that was the part when blah, right. blah, blah, Right, that blah. was that part, and mm-hmm. it connects to that part, and it should feel fun to us, which is like, for your next episode, that's how I feel about that one, right? Right, Also, yeah. storytelling <laughs> also is like when you have the two romantic characters, you have to pull them apart in a lot of different ways to keep the tension up. Mm-hmm. So we get the sort of like... Which bores me to know. I actually like that it's the it's the swinging, right? It's the, the yin and the yang. You have to kind of pull them apart so they can snap back together. I get together. so bored with that. I'd be like, oh, are we here again? But I love detectives who bone like as Ross a genre, so we're a little different, okay? <laughs> And it's just Ross and Rachel all over again. If you I ask know, me. but they get pulled apart during the whole uh, car accident, and then Juana the mad, and this one, the pulling apart happens in the fact that they're just separated by distance, and it doesn't work at all. And then when they kind of come back together, it's a little flat. Mm-hmm. So there's not that like kind of crackling tension no, again. Although her eyes effing sparkle when he arrives in the and he takes over the investigation. Which also is a little odd, too, if you think about it. Like, Franny doesn't really need Jack's help, but she does. But she does. Okay, never mind. No, no, they stonewall her. I love when he shows up, when he, like, Mm -hmm. he pulls right in and cock blocks the other car, basically. (laughs) It's really good. Oh, and his hat gets shot off. Right? Yeah. In yeah. the vineyard. Also, another weird thing. And she's an expert marksman. Why is this interesting in this? Why, why is this even <laughs> why here? Why do they always have to say that? 
Why, when she just shot something with accuracy, why do they then have to actually say out loud, oh, she's an expert marksman? No, but that's sarcastic, right? She's not an expert marksman because she would have just shot him in the head. That's true. Like she would have just shot Friday in the foot or shot the tire of the car, but she shoots the ground. Yeah, but I th- it was, she also I shot, shot, shot the hat. She shot the hat off his head. That's a good that shot. That seems pretty hard. This is the outback, you guys. I think she was That's misaiming. Right. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, the it's great a little further away Did than a drawer to shoot Jack in the head or not. <laughs> well, whatever her intention, at least it leads to the end scene where Friday right. gets to give him a new hat. Which That's was right. beautiful. Oh, beautiful. oh, I forgot about that. Uh-huh. That's great. That was pretty dreamy. Yeah. When she so pulls really. it down just so yep. over his eyes. And he looks exactly like our friend, the Shanghai Pearls dog, who is the inspector detective Jack Robinson, the dog. <laughs> they look exactly they look like. Exactly he's, got, like. <laughs> he's got a good puppy face in that picture. <laughs> yes, he in, does. Or in that end scene. Mm-hmm. That sweet little yeah, doggy, got, puppy dog eyes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he also looks like Mariah in a hat, so that's fun. Our friend Mariah, who played uh, oh, Jack yes. Robinson in the uh, Miss Fishnet burlesque show yes i remember that um yes so if the you, final the, the, the your yes, jack. my my yeah. jack yeah, yeah. the make the makeout yes. jack uh so our advice is there I think, any other kind there's no other kind <laughs> uh, our advice is if you're going to watch this episode really just drink the whole time so you can get to literally the last 30 seconds and it will be worth it yeah and rewind it a maybe few times. that's why the episode has to maybe that was unintentional hmm. we're gonna make brown town so boring that, that last 30 seconds is going to be amazing. It's like, if you've ever seen the, the BBC series North and South? Yes. Like, the whole thing is, like, we're in the north of England in the industrial part, and there's... Everyone's got cotton lungs. Yes, but the last, <laughs> like, 45 seconds of the thing is, like, such a huge payoff! It was all worth it. It was worth it. He's a it. terrible, terrible man. Want to talk about Colin Firth being brooding as Mr. Oh, Darcy? Oh, yeah, no, he firthed really hard he in that. Dar- he's like, he out-Darcy's Mr. He Darcy. D- in fact, I think that was what all the reviews said, that he, like, out-Darcy Darcy. But I don't he care. beats a man in a cotton warehouse. In a really hot way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we're done. Okay. okay. I think it might be time for a toast. <laughs> I have no idea. I've got nothing. Oh, I mean, here I, we- I really like JoJo's take on this, that... It was withholding so that we would appreciate what it gives mm. in the future. But how does that really relate to the bounty of a wine harvest? Bro, you gotta wait. That's the thing about wine. You can't <gasps> just oh, drink it. Oh, yes. You can't, it's gotta mature. You to, can't just drink it. To the host. waiting. To the waiting. To the waiting. <laughs> wait, hold on. All right, yeah, yeah, let's yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Actually, oh. nice. Can we just do that again? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> to the to waiting. The waiting. Bink. <laughs> Just a wine explosion in this beautiful studio. And scene. <laughs> I feel so warm. I know. I know. It is, it is kind of warm oh, in here. no shit, dude. It's Ooh. the wine. <laughs> A lot about winemaking. Oh, excellent. I have to explain something. She has a. It does. It smells like a.